Hello everyone, and welcome to this spooktacular episode 57 of Connectivity. I am Scott Thompson. Yeah, we've gone a little crazy with the Halloween theme in this episode, so deal with it. Uh, first up, we've got to talk about scary games. Um, that's with myself and Andy Gergen. Uh, after that, we have a haunted listener mail segment with Neil, myself, Zach, and Patrick. And then after that, we have a very special um, riff track of an episode of the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. That's with myself, Zach, and Mike. Enjoy! Hello, everyone, and welcome to this spooky segment of Connectivity. Um, I am Scott Thompson, and today I am just joined by Andy Gergen. Yes, it's it's very alone, almost almost so alone it's spooky. Yes, as the rest of the rest of the staff has mysteriously vanished. Exactly, the power's out. Neil said he was going to go down and grab some food. And he hey, Scott, I'll be right out. back. I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, never say that, man. <laughs> you won't be. So true, so true. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just uh, Andy and I, and we're going to be talking about uh, scary games, I guess, with uh, Halloween quickly approaching. Um, we thought it might be fun to kind of do something themed with that. So we're going to talk about games that have just sort of freaked us out, uh, whether we were kids or adults or whatever, and across any platform, not just Nintendo platforms. So, sure. Um, yeah, because there probably aren't that many exclusively on Nintendo platforms, although I think we'll talk about maybe one or two. Um, so Andy, why don't you, why don't you go ahead and start? What's, uh, what's one game that just freaked you out? I think my quintessential scary games experience, I, I wrote a blog post about this maybe a couple years ago, I think maybe for the Resident Evil 15th anniversary feature on the site. Okay. Um, when I was in college, uh, my last summer in the dorms, I was an RA in the dorms, so I got to stay in the dorms over the summer with, you know, a few people. There wasn't a lot, well, there wasn't a ton of people there. It was mostly, um, uh, international students that were kind of checking in early. So I had a lot of room to breathe and I had a lot of time to kill. Yeah. So that was the summer of 2002, which was the first summer after the Resident Evil remake came out. And I had owned the game since it came out in, I think, April of 2002, uh, but I hadn't had a chance to play it yet, and um, I, I wanted to do it right. So finally, I, th- I found a weekend that summer where I literally didn't have anything to do at all, no obligations whatsoever, and on Friday around 2 o'clock p.m., I dimmed the lights and closed <laughs> the windows and blocked the windows off, and aside from breaking for meals, I played the entire game in a sitting. Holy crap. Which is basically how... I think those games are meant to be played yeah. if, you, if you really want to experience it the best way possible. Um, as a result, I have a very fond memory of that game, which is not necessarily fondly remembered by many people, to be perfectly honest. Uh, it, it's, a, it, it's, it's a game that, at the time, felt strangely both modern and archaic, and now just feels mostly archaic, because even the yeah. graphics don't really hold up that well. Uh, although, although they still look pretty good, I think. But right, that was the, that was the big draw. I played that game too, and um, I remember the character models just like blowing me away at the time. You know, like yeah. I thought it just looked so amazing. That game right, actually it, convinced me that pre-rendered backgrounds were a much, much, much better idea than 
um, rendered backgrounds. I was like, you can do things with pre-rendered backgrounds that you just can't do with rendered backgrounds. Well, <laughs> it's it's the future of games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the future. Uh, I really loved that game. I I thought that it it just it filled you with a real sense of dread. That house was just so oppressive, and the way that something just terrible lurked around every corner. I, I, remember, I remember specifically the, the, there's a part in the game where you go to a um, cabin in the back, and which it's where, I think it's where you oh, first yeah. it's where you first meet the monstrosity that chases you around the second half of the game. Um, I forget what the Lisa maybe the name is. I forget it has a girl's yeah, yeah. name. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, and that whole segment was just so so memorable in its design. I just I have so many fond memories of of that weekend because I just I immersed myself in it. I just I breathed Resident Evil for like 72 hours. Yeah. And I convinced myself that I wanted to play through every game in the series that way from that point forward. Uh, unfortunately, that never happened because <laughs> I quickly realized that my last year in college when I had to work, and then I graduated from college and got a job. Yeah. So it was kind of hard to um, sequester myself like that. I really – it was the perfect time for me because that's the last time in my life where I literally had no reason to do anything for long periods of time. Except, yeah, except just play games. It yeah. was the perfect summer to, ha- to have just gotten my GameCube, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um. See, I, I've got I've got pretty fond memories of that game too. Um, I, I never played the original Resident Evil. Um, I, I I have these like distinct memories of being a, a kid, and I had I was friends with someone who's a, a couple years younger than me, and his um his dad had a PlayStation, but it was like his PlayStation. Like the, we us kids didn't get to play with it, and so he would play Resident Evil like when the kids weren't around or sleeping. But I can remember a few times like staying the night over there and like coming out into the den like to go upstairs and go to the bathroom or something. Um because my friend's bedroom was attached to the den, and, like, just seeing, like, just split seconds of the game, and just, like, it kind of freaked me out, and I didn't know anything about it, but it just looked, it looked like this just such a serious, mature game, and, you know, just scary, and then to, when I finally got the chance to play the, um, the remake, it was, um, it was exciting, you know, I, I was, like, looking forward to it, I was so, ex- it just really, uh, I don't know, just really excited to get that chance to finally experience the game and see what it was all about, and... It was pretty freaky, and they they changed a lot of things that kind of made it scarier. Um, you know, like with so, the yeah. like the red zombies who were like super powerful and would, sure. and I believe would chase you from room to room too. You know, they wouldn't just be stay like in the same hallway. Um, well, like the lighting effects in that game did so much to enhance the atmosphere. Yeah, it was it was just at the time it felt so gorgeous. Yeah. And I've I've played the the Resident Evil Archives version of it for Wii. Just recently, and I thought mm-hmm. to myself, "Wow, this doesn't really hold up nearly as well as I had hoped." But <laughs> yeah. at the time, it felt like the first step towards that photorealistic polygon game that right. is sort of the end the end goal of polygonal graphics the the ones the ones that look photorealistic. It felt like the first real step towards towards that. I thought so too. Yeah, and it, I thought it like was this great like showcase for what the GameCube could do. But really, I mean, they you know they were just able to sort of cheat with the pre-rendered backgrounds. They were able to like to push, you know, the the look of the models of the characters, um, yeah. you know, so much more uh, than would be possible with rendered backgrounds. But still, you know, it was really exciting for the time and, and just looked great. And I, I really did enjoy that game. You know, one other one other game that I'm thinking of now that I, I kind of had kind of escaped my memory until we started talking about Resident Evil. As, a, as another um, game where you are exploring an empty house 
and things just aren't quite right. And that's the original NES Uninvited. Have you ever heard of Uninvited? Mm, no. You ever played Shadowgate? No. Okay. There was a series of games on the NES that were all very similar. There was three of them, I believe. At least three that I played. Uh, Shadowgate, Uninvited, and Deja Vu. And they were all very, like... I think... I, I'm not sure if they were actually remakes of PC games or if they just were meant to look like so. They had a... You used the D-pad to control a cursor on screen, and it was just sort of like a... a a picture of a room that had maybe a couple of doors on it, and then there was like eight different menu options you could do, like open or take, and it was kind of like almost kind of like a I don't want to say a visual novel, but it was very much an adventure game, like a very classic PC style adventure game. And one of them was Uninvited, and it was just sort of this little story about how you crash into a mailbox at a house while you're going to look for your sister, and you wake up at the the door of your crashed car, and immediately you have like three you have to make like the correct choice within three moves or the car explodes and your game is like immediately over it's 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 great though it's 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 a it's a relic of a bygone era and i think i actually tried to play it again recently and, and didn't remember much of anything it's the kind of game that Definitely had me calling the Nintendo helpline when I was a kid because it's there's a very specific path through the game, and if you don't, if you can't figure it out, you're just going to be staring at the same screen over and over again, uh, getting eaten, eaten by zombies or whatever it was that killed you in that game. I don't even recall what killed you in that game. I think it's one of those games where like, like the the death scenes were actually fairly ambiguous. Like you get a chill up your spine, suddenly you feel very alone. You are dead. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so it really was, yeah, like a text adventure kind of game almost. I mean, not entirely text, but... I think the I think the, the, the DS or the 3DS would be actually a really great way to experience those games now. Um, they would still feel a little archaic, but you could polish up the uh, the art and, the, and the, the, the the interface a little bit. That'd actually be a lot of fun to, to recreate those games. And they're, they're built for a touchscreen interface. I mean, especially the stylus oh, yeah. interface where you can very precisely tap the item you want. I mean, they are very much pixel hunt games. You have to find the the right oddity in the wall that looks that right. looks like you could maybe place a lever there or something to that effect. Right. Um, the Uninvited was a lot of fun, and there was, a, there was a couple more like that. Shadowgate was another similar one where you were investigating um, an evil wizard's castle, and um, you had to be very careful about the order in which you did things or you'd get eaten by skeletons, of course. Right, yeah, that's always a big thing. Always be careful with the order. Like, if you forget something, you can progress to a certain point, and then you realize you needed it, but then you're dead because you yeah. never got it. It's, it yeah, lines. it's like one misstep and you're dead, and then yeah. you're, you basically have to go back to, I don't know, the last checkpoint. I forget how that works exactly, but... Well, it depends. I mean, some games will just make you start entirely over. Yeah. Um, you know, just depending which it is, so... Um, alright, well, let's move on to uh, one of my games that I have uh, listed here. And um, that is the original, well, I don't know, I guess it maybe not the original, depending on how you look at it, but Alien vs. Predator for the uh, the PC. Um, I don't want to say original because there was a fighting game called Alien vs. Predator. Um, right. Like in the arcades and stuff, and maybe on the Jaguar, but that's not the game I'm talking about. I'm talking about the first-person shooter that came out on the PC, like, I don't know, mid to late 90s. Um, and much as has been the case in the several Alien vs. Predator uh, first-person shooters there have been, you, there's three campaigns, you get the option to play as, you know, a soldier, an alien, and a predator. And the Alien Predator, you know, campaigns are fine, they're, they're both pretty good, 
Um, and just, it's kind of fun to play in different ways, you know, whether you're the alien who can climb all over walls and ceilings and hide in vents and stuff, and, or the predator who can cloak and sneak up on guys and decapitate them and collect their heads as trophies and that kind of stuff. But the, uh, the human soldier campaign is so completely different from both of them because it, it basically becomes like a survival horror game. Um, there's a lot of levels where there's not much action for like long stretches of time, which is sort of weird for a first person shooter. Um, you know, like, you'll just be walking down hallways, and, like, all you'll hear is just that, like, quiet hum of the motion detector. Yeah. Which, if you're familiar with the movies, like, you know that sound effect, and you'll just hear it. And then all of a sudden, you know, it'll pick something up, like, kind of a ways away from you, and then it just gets closer and closer. And you have you have no idea what it's going to be. Um, and, you know, aliens will just pop out of vents randomly, and, and that was one thing, too, that the enemies in the levels would be... Uh, sort of randomly assigned. So one playthrough, there could be an alien right, you know, in the beginning, and another playthrough, it could be like three minutes before you even come across anything, and they'll be in different spots. Nice. Um, but the the scariest thing was the um, the face huggers. Um, in the game, since this first one, they've kind of lessened what the face huggers can do. So like, if your health is is pretty good, usually when they those face huggers try to attach to you, your character will just automatically like put up his hand, and it's sort of just this like hand animation where like he's able to, to pull the face hugger off from him. Uh, but in this first one, no matter what, you know, no matter what your health is or anything, if a face hugger gets too close to you, it'll get you. And, like, that's it. Like, game over. You know, it'll just, all of a sudden, you can hear it crawling around. You can hear this, like, weird sound effect it makes. And then it's just on your face. It's just the, the basically, the bottom side of the face hugger is just uh, completely all you see on your screen. And then, like, that's it. You're dead. Nice. Um and so you would hear them, and but they they're so tiny, and there would be levels that are just like almost pitch black, and you're throwing flares on the ground, and you're trying to light up the hallways and the rooms, and you know it's around, but you just have no idea where, and you're like backpedaling, backpedaling, to you know shooting randomly on the ground trying to kill it, and then like it turns out it was behind you, and then it just gets you, <laughs> um, and it was like the scariest shit. It always freaked me out. Um, and then when you played on harder difficulties, there would be like multiples of them in a room, and you'd have to kill them all, and it was awesome. Excellent. What, what platform did you say this was for again? Uh, PC. Okay. If anyone's interested, they actually have it now on Steam. Um, oh, cool. So I, I'm fairly certain it still runs on modern machines if it's available on Steam. So. This is similar to the 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 was it a Jaguar or a 3DO game? Either the Jaguar or the 3DO had like one of its headlining titles was an Alien vs Predator game. No, see that's what I was saying. That that was more like a beat 'em up. You played okay. as either a, a soldier or a predator, and you just bought, fought a bunch of aliens. And yeah, it was, it was just gotcha. a beat 'em up, like gotcha. a brawler. Um, Interesting. Yeah, this is completely different, but very good. Um, and since sounds, then, it sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it was really great. And there was a sequel that was decent, and then they they kind of rebooted it a couple of years ago on the uh, Xbox 360 and the PS3, and that one was decent too. But it, it still just didn't kind of catch like the like the terror of that that first one and how helpless you felt as the Marine. So definitely. Yeah, I really like that. So yeah, so what do what do you got next? I can think of two more things, neither of which are for Nintendo platforms. Um, one thing that comes to mind is the there's one brief section of Half Life Two um, called Ravenholm. If oh yeah. If you've played Half Life Two, you immediately know what I'm talking about. It's um, Half Life Two is it's primarily just like a, a science fictiony first person shooter, but there's one part of the game where um, you walk by this abandoned hallway with your tour guide, and the tour guide looks down the hallway and says, that's where Ravenholm is. We don't go to Ravenholm. <laughs> and then, like, of course, five minutes later, everything goes horribly wrong, and, of course, um, you end up going through Ravenholm. And uh, 
basically, I mean, the entire thing is sort of a um, tutorial for how the gravity gun works, because you don't have... I'm not sure that you don't have any weapons, but they don't give you any ammo in the game. In, right. In that it, level. Suddenly, so, ammo becomes incredibly limited. Yeah. So what they do have, however, is all of these like slaughterhouse rooms where like there's just saw blades lying around everywhere and all these dead bodies strewn around. An entire thing. It, it, it takes place at nighttime, and you come across these these zombies that are possessed by the by the uh, headhuggers, and you have to decapitate them, I believe, with with the saw blades, using the gravity gun to pick up the saw blades and fire them off. And it's just, it's really tense, and the whole atmosphere is just really creepy. The whole thing is really well done. It's uh, it's so tonally different from everything else in that game, which makes it really memorable, but it's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. It's spooky as hell. It is, yeah. It just comes out of nowhere, and it, it's its own entity. Yeah, like you don't really experience that again in the game. And there's, yeah, there's, there's this weird preacher who's like running up, running around on the rooftops, like helping oh, yeah. helping you out. And he seems like he's lost his damn mind, but he's more or less on your side. So you listen to him and you follow yeah, him around. Yeah, because even when time. even when you get out, he elects to stay behind and like to continue fighting. The, yeah, you know, like the basically the undead fighting the good um, fight. Yeah, and yeah, if you use those saw blades and you don't hit them in the head, if you hit them like in the waist or something, it just cuts them in half, and then they'll still drag themselves across the yeah. ground to try to get to you. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, yeah, that part's really awesome. I mean, Half-Life 2 is a game that's kind of interesting, because I feel like every hour or so, it just sort of changes what's going on. Definitely. You know, it starts off first just just kind of standard shooter, and then yeah, then you hit this like survival horror level, and then there's a long stretch where you're like in, in a vehicle and having to get out and in and like activate these things so you can get further... Um, you know, it, it just keeps like changing as you're playing it, but that is a, a really yeah. memorable part. You're right. Um, and then the other, the last game that I had that sprung to mind was um, Silent Hill 2, which I played. I, I've talked about Shattered Memories on this podcast like a thousand times, and I've written a couple of blog posts about it. Like I, I don't have much more to say about Shattered Memories that I haven't already said. But Silent Hill 2 is not on a, a Nintendo platform, so I haven't really talked about it too much. This was a game that I tried to do the whole dim the lights, only play alone in a dark room with the volume up, kind of like I did with Resident Evil before, but I couldn't play it all in one sitting because I was mainly playing it while my, uh, you know, it's harder, to, it's harder to play games like that when you're married because tr- volunteering to sequester yourself in your basement with the, the with the curtains drawn looks a bit weird to your <laughs> to your spouse. So yeah, I kind of lost the opportunity to do that very often, but my wife. I went to grad school a couple years ago, and so she was gone like on Mondays and Tuesdays for like three or four hours. So I, I took the opportunity to, uh, to to draw the curtains and dim the lights one more time, and I picked Silent Hill 2. Uh, I think maybe on Zach's recommendation. I don't really remember necessarily, but I'd heard good things about about number two especially, and that it wasn't necessarily a sequel to the first game. You didn't really need to know anything about the first game to enjoy the second game. It's It's sort of a standalone entry in the series, I guess. Two and four are both sort of standalone entries in the series, and then one and three are sort of the continuous main Silent Hill storyline. Right, yeah. Uh, which is odd, but I guess Silent Hill 4 wasn't even a Silent Hill game until very, very near to release. Mm-hmm. Um, the Silent Hill 2 is, it plays a lot like Silent Hill 1 in that you're, you're abandoning, or you're a, a exploring an abandoned town that's got this misty haze that you can't see very well, but it, it has this incredible sense of despair and dread that permeates every facet of that game, more so than Resident Evil, more so than anything I've, uh, I've ever encountered. You just, there's nothing else in this town except for maybe a couple of other NPCs, and everything about them feels completely wrong. 
Um, and then you encounter them again later, and they seem more normal. Like, you encounter multiple versions of the same NPC, and they seem completely different every time you talk to them, although mm-hmm. they do remember parts of the conversation you had before. Um, there's a there's a creepy little girl, I think, that kind of thwarts you every once in a while, who doesn't seem evil. She just seems like she doesn't like you, and you can't figure out why. Um, and I don't, I don't want to spoil anybody who hasn't played it, but the end of the game is just a real mindfuck, to be perfectly honest. And there's this one, there's this one point in the game where, of course, they have you exploring a prison because what 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 good abandon or uh, explore the empty town game would be complete without going to a prison. Mm-hmm. And um, there's one point in particular where they have you uh, find a room that's got this hole in it, like a like like a a cubby hole you have to climb down to a lower level. Um, and they repeat that room like four times. So you go down once, and every time you every time you, you elect to go down, like the on-screen prompt says, uh, "Descend," or "Do you want to go down?" And you have to say yes. Yeah. So it makes it makes you confirm it, <laughs> and then it makes you confirm it like three more times. And every time you do it, you're just like, "Oh God, what the hell's gonna be down there? Oh God, what's the, what the hell's gonna be down there?" And then you get there, and it's just another version of that same room. And you have to keep going down, and every single time they made me confirm that choice, I just my my stomach was like in my like chest. I just couldn't take <laughs> the tension anymore. It's, it seems weird talking about it after the fact. While I was playing it, I had already spent a couple hours in that in that prison, and I was just itching to get out of there, you know, to the sunny exterior of Silent Hill. Yeah, um, it was. It's just so well done. There's so much in that game that just fills you with dread. It really achieves the, the survival horror effect better than any other game I've ever played. It's brilliant. And I, I really think that, like, honestly, the Nintendo platforms are due for more Silent Hill. Like, I know Shattered Memories didn't exactly do gangbusters, but I would love to take a, that Silent Hill HD collection that came out on Xbox and put that mm-hmm. on Wii U. And, you know, throw the first Silent Hill on there, too, even if it's not up Just throw it on there as a, as a bonus, because I want to play more of that series. But I just don't I mean, I have the other systems, but I'd rather play it on the system I played the most on, which is right. Wii, and will soon be Wii U. Sure. I um, I see. I never played two. I need to. I I really need to because I keep hearing great things about it. Um, but a few years ago, when the Seven Hill movie came out, uh, I went with a friend and saw it, and we both really, really enjoyed it. And so that night, we went to like a local store. And we went ahead and we bought um, Silent Hill 4 because that was the game that was out at the time. It, you know, pro- probably, as, as would make sense, was released in time with the movie. Um, so that's the only one I played. And I actually really liked that game. Um, I know the kind of Silent Hill diehards have some problems with it. And it, it does admittedly have problems. I mean, it recycles levels. I mean, you go through all the levels and then you actually have to play through all the levels again. Um, and... I don't know, it just had some cool ideas. I mean, so you have this guy, and you, you you're wake up, and you're boarded in your apartment. Like, you can't get out. You can look out the, the people, and you can see the hallways and stuff, and you can see people, you know, walking to their apartments and stuff. But every time, like, you bang on the door, or, like, scream or do anything, no one hears you. No one, like, reacts to you. Um, but in your bathroom, there's this hole in the wall, and you can go into the hole. And, and similar to what you're describing, Andy, like, with how it makes you, it prompts you each time to ask you. It, it does this uh, in this game, too where it asks you if you want to go in it. And as you as you progress through the game, the hole gets, like, bigger and bigger and um, just, like, begins to, like, erode the um, the bathroom initially and then, like, the entire apartment. Um, that and, sounds cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And each time you go into it, you go into a different level. Um, 
and then eventually the the apartment's sort of your your safe zone um like your your health refills there um it's when you're sort of away from everything but yeah. as you play and if you make it the wrong choice there's one point where there's a choice where you can pick something up and i i forget which way it is but if you pick it up or if you don't one way or the other it actually alters the room so much that you don't even heal there anymore it's not even like a safe place anymore like it becomes so decrepit um that it, it you just want to get out of there as quickly as you can and get back into like the actual levels um but the, the thing that freaks me out the most it's so silly like it's kind of a, like a, maybe an easter egg or just something that probably a lot of people didn't see but he has one window in his apartment that you can look out and you can see the cityscape um and there's a billboard um like way to the left you have to really look for it and there's a phone number on the billboard and there, he isn't a phone in his apartment, and you can use it like it, it lets you dial out. Mm-hmm. But there's never there's never a time you need to call anyone. It doesn't really give you a number to call, but it, it's there. And so if you call the number on the um on the billboard, you just hear this like sort of just like creepy like sort of like mumbling and like noises and stuff. And then like it eventually just like gets really loud and then just like hangs up. And I just <laughs> thought the, it just like freaked me out. We were like playing. It was like really late at night. All the lights off, like you were saying, and it just like freaked us the hell out. Yeah. Um, they have a similar effect in Silent Hill Shattered Memory, since the, your Wii Remote kind of acts as a cell phone. You actually find you actually find cell phone numbers or phone numbers strewn out through the entire game, and you can call them. And usually, you just get some sort of a recorded message saying they're closed. But sometimes there are some kind of cool little Easter eggs you, you come across there. There's one where I think, if I'm not mistaken, there's a puzzle yet to solve by calling in a phone number to vote for a song in a contest. Oh wow, which is interesting. Yeah, I need to play that game. I, I hear so many great things from you, and I, I need to play it. I I, uh, it. I I I voted for it number one on my list of third party uh, Wii releases. I I am very high on that game. More wow. more so than probably most people. So don't take my word as uh, gold because <laughs> apparently I'm the only person who thinks this game is the best. But yeah, I I, I feel like this game is sorely underrepresented when you're talking about a list of the best third party games on Wii. It's just. Hmm. It's really well done, and even if yeah. it's not really well done, the, the like the ratio of how well it's done to how many people are talking about it, or were talking about it, or have talked about it, is way out of whack. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably just rent it or something, so it's not like it'll be that big of an investment for me. So I'll check that. And it's not not a super long game. You can finish it in probably I think eight to twelve hours. Yeah. And I, I encourage any anyone who's a fan of Silent Hill, if you never played Ford, to maybe consider it. It's not perfect, but I think there's some interesting ideas there. Yeah. Um, for sure. So, um, well, the the next game I had, I guess it's sort of a pair of games. Um, would be Dead Space one and two. Okay. Um, have you ever played those? I played the first maybe four hours, maybe six hours or so of Dead Space one. Um, I I thought the game was really hard. I think I stopped playing it because I just got tired of dying a lot. I was at a point where <laughs> I didn't have enough ammo. I couldn't buy more ammo. I I was just struggling. And uh I wasn't really in I, I, I liked a lot of things about the game, but at the end of the day I wasn't really enjoying it that much. I think maybe I'll I'll come back to it eventually because I do feel like it's a game that I probably should like. Well yeah, I mean it, it kinda goes back to the Resident Evil style of like having finite um ammo and supplies yeah. and sort of heavily enforces that. You can buy more, but like you said, if you don't have the money then you're kind of out of luck, you know. Yeah. There's no like, there's no weapon that has like infinite ammo or something like that. I mean, I guess yeah. you could melee if you're completely out of ammo, but that's not that helpful. <laughs> no, not really. But those games, I just love the atmosphere. Um, they remind me a lot of like movies like Sunshine or um, 
Event Horizon. Sure. Where they're just so dark and so creepy, and I, I just really, really enjoy that uh, that space setting. Um, I love the parts of the game where you had to go onto the exterior of the ship and walk oh, around in yeah. zero gravity. That was that was pretty. That was that was special. <laughs> I really yeah, liked yeah, that. Yeah, it was like completely silent, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, that was a cool effect. Once yeah, again, I mean, like I, these these are games that are ripe for just like throw them on a disc and put them on Wii U. They're old games. You don't need to charge too much for them. Just maybe like I, I would pay. 30 bucks for a Dead Space 1 and 2 uh, collection on Wii U. These are yeah. it's 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 an easy way for these publishers to make an extra buck and it's a good way to expose these series to Nintendo fans who have been stubborn about not playing games on other platforms. Sure. And the, I mean the third one now has been delayed till next year, um till 2013. So And I know I that mean, we, we we tend to harp on, you know, they shouldn't just port old games to the system, but there's a difference between making them available and spending 10 minutes at a press conference talking about them instead of other games. <laughs> there's, a yeah. happy, there's a happy medium there. Don't get me wrong. Like, I do want to see new content, too. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, so, and, yeah, with the third one coming out next year, I mean, it doesn't seem completely unlikely that that could come to Wii U, too. So, like you're saying, I mean, if they also released one and two, um, that would be a really good a really good uh, Absolutely. buy for Absolutely. Wii U gamers who have overlooked these uh, these games. But yeah, they just kind of freaked me out. And similar to um, your story about how you know your wife was in grad school and would be gone a couple of days, and that's when you'd play Simon Hill. My um, my girlfriend, she was hired at Verizon, and she had to do like a month's worth of training where like Monday through Friday she was like out of town. Um, and that's when I got Dead Space 2. And so I would do that. I would like wait till night. I'd turn off all the lights, and I would just play that alone in our house. And, like, it, it did just, like, I could only handle so much of it. Like, I could see why you maybe didn't like Dead Space, because it, it it's stressful. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's scary, but it it's tense. And it, it's definitely not a relaxing game. It's not something you can play very much of for a long amount of time, because it's just too much sometimes. And you have to, you kind of have to get away from it and then come back to it later. Yes. Um, you kind of hit a, you hit a boiling point where it's just, it's just too much. I mean, when you're you're you're, fear, you're fearful every time you enter a new room or go around a corner. I mean, you don't want to be in that state for hours and hours. So I think one of the things that really even didn't help me even more when I was playing the uh, Silent Hill 2 was that I was playing the Xbox version and I was playing it on Xbox 360. And it's one of those backwards compatibility titles that's not 100% compatible. It's got glitches. <laughs> so okay. for like for instance, uh, you're always carrying a flashlight in the game. Uh, that's sort of your 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 vision is limited because you can't see much. But when you're whenever you're in a dark environment, you automatically have a flashlight. But um, for whatever reason, on the Xbox version, when you play it on Xbox 360, the flashlight shines both in front of you and behind you, almost like he's <laughs> wearing it on his belt, kind of. Which is which is I didn't even realize it was a glitch until later on. But there was one part I was in a hospital of some kind and textures would start disappearing out of nowhere, which oh, did, did not help me relax. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. It's funny how that worked. Yeah, they didn't really nail that backwards compa- uh, compatibility so much. That's because they didn't specialize it for every game. They would release them in packs. Yeah. But um, that's a good game. I should really, I should really replay that. I really should pick up the HD collection. I wish it wasn't thirty bucks for two games. Um, Which ones does it have? It has two it's and three. Got two and three, and that's it. Okay. Like, it's not even a way I could play four. I'd have to just play. And three is part of a series, and it's the second one in the series, so it just feels like a really weird collection. Yeah, um, I think I think one's available for download, like on PSN. Yeah, I maybe, think so too. Maybe, I, maybe um, Xbox Live, but I know heard, for sure PSN. I've heard mixed stories about whether or not it's worth playing. Um, 
with its limitations and its 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 antiquated controls yeah, and graphics. For sure. But like for a sure. collection of two and four makes a lot more sense because those are two games that are sort of outside the series. But I guess three is really one of the one of the more beloved games. I think two and three are like two of the most beloved games in that series. So yeah. Yeah, and you could probably find four for pretty cheap. And if you have a backwards compatible PS3 like I do, I I would definitely recommend Ah, it. Sadly, I do not. Ah, do you have your PS2 still? I do. It's in a box in the closet, but I do have it. I could could find it. Yeah, I bet you could find that game for cheap if you're itching for a a scary game to play around this Halloween time. So I think that about does it for what we had. Um, Just real quick in passing before we go, um, Neil couldn't be here, but he definitely wanted to talk about Eternal Darkness. And Zach couldn't be here, but he wanted to talk about Fatal Frame 2, so maybe another time for those two. Or um, not. Bum, bum, bum. What you get for not coming. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that'll do it. Those uh, games you... are banned from the podcast. <laughs> exactly, we will not talk about those games anymore. So uh, if you, the listener, have any games that have scared you quite a bit, uh, leave some uh, some comments on the TalkBack thread and let us know. Um, but other than that, that will do it. So Andy, thanks for being here. Happy to help. And uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. great cast patrick barnett hello scott thompson hello and zach miller is silly because paper mario is awesome (laughs) (laughs) so kind of what what made this listener mail possible is that uh in in an article regarding new york comic-con i included a line that if you wrote in uh if you wrote an email to connectivity with a file of a listener mail question and you said that Zach Miller is silly because Paper Mario is awesome, um, because Zach notoriously fucking hates Paper Mario games, um, that, that I'd send you a sheet of stickers. Uh, we got a good response, so much so that we're not even going to be able to get through all of them in this segment. Uh, I do not have enough sheets of stickers to send out to everybody. I apologize. Um, so I'm going to use a random number generator and, and pick out a few, and then I'll get in contact with the winners shortly. Um, maybe even before everyone hears this. Now, um, hold on a second, Neil. Yeah? If the prize for people is a bunch of Super Mario, Paper Mario stickers, you're really all losers. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> what? Do, do you have any Paper Mario stickers? I wouldn't want them because they're Paper Mario. And Paper Mario sucks. Um, well, I'm just waiting. Like, as we all know, Neil recently lost his job. Um, so if anyone's hiring... Just, just sexy men in general. Um, you know, give Neil a buzz. 
But I'm just waiting for like a 3 a.m. post on Twitter of just a picture of Neil just sort of half drunk with the picture, the stickers all just stuck to his face and like or my his balls. chest and stuff. Yeah, just just completely <laughs> bored out of his mind. And then you will get nothing in the mail. But thank you for your <laughs> listener mail. We appreciate it. <laughs> um, or like or the like stickers will be like put back on the sheet yeah. and be all like out of line. That's like that's you, not even the stickiness is all gone. Is that, is that a piece of gum? It might be. <laughs> so Scott, uh, start us off with the first letter. Sure, my pleasure. Um, so this first one comes from Joel Brenner. Brenner, I would say Brenner. Um, he says, and he kind of snuck in two questions here. I didn't realize this at first. A lot so. of people did. People are crafty. Stupid people. What makes this new Paper Mario game unique to the other installments in the series? And do you feel it's important for its predecessors to be played first or not? Now, do we want to address that first, or should I go ahead and read the second question? Uh, you know what, let's, let's just address that. Um, okay. Scott, you literally just posted a preview for this, so. I did, as a matter of so, fact. So, uh, how about you answer? I, you absolutely don't have to play the predecessors. Um, I'd say between 1 and, and 2, so the original Paper Mario on N64 and then Thousand Year Door on GameCube, it, it might have been helpful. Um, the, even they weren't very much like linked They reference the first one a lot and the second one. Do they? I mean, oh, not okay. like directly, but like, uh, like there are allusions to like Mario's past adventures. Okay, and like returning characters and stuff, yeah. right? Okay, I think so. Um, it's been I don't know when did that game come out? Two thousand five. It's been seven years. <laughs> yeah. Um. So between those two, I'd say yeah, you'd probably want to play one and then two. Um. But with this one, I feel like they're kind of starting fresh. Um, especially after Super Paper Mario for the Wii, which was completely its own thing and, and kind of broke away from the format of the first two. Yeah, Super Paper um, Mario was like a, I mean, it was, it was more of a side scroller level based game where, I mean, there were still, like, you would still level up and junk like that, but you would, it would play more like a side scrolling Mario game. Whereas with Paper Mario on 3DS, it still has that level based, uh, by, like, concept to it. Like, there's a world map and stuff this time around. Uh, but it's more based around the sticker-based economy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's all about collecting stickers, because while the turn-based battles are back, your traditional RPG elements of, like, equipping items and leveling up are all gone. So all your attacks and abilities come from stickers that you collect in the world and purchase through um, through stores in town. Um, so like that, that's, that's the, the big crux of this game, which, so it's completely unlike any of the others. Um, and so it changes good. things up. Yeah, it does look great. I'm really excited about it. So it kind of brings in this new element of, um, you know, collecting stickers and then sort of rationing them off and using only what's necessary. So let's say in a, you know, a, a normal RPG, you might like have this one super powerful tech that you'll just use to like lay waste to just sort of the random enemies you find like on the world map, you know, like kind of the scrubs. Um, just to get through them quick. Well, in this, you can't really do that because you don't want to use your rare, super powerful stickers in these, like, sort of meaningless battles when you could just save them, um, you know, for bosses or when you're, like, kind of in a tricky situation. Yeah. So it, it kind of gets you to manage your um, your limited ability to attack um, in kind of a cool way. Um, are, are most of the stickers only, like, a one-time use? They're or? all one. T- they're all one-time use. Um, that that might be different. But for I, th- the I thought that, that like, like wear down. As far as I as far as I read, I thought that you use them once and they're gone. Oh, did you hear different? I mean that that's what I mean. Everything yeah, I I'm going back to like stuff I remember hearing at E3, which might have been more theory than anything else. Well, because there are there are stickers of like varying powers. Yeah, maybe some of the stronger true. ones last a little longer. 
Because that would right, suck if like, you like... use the fan power up once and then it's gone. Well, I was going to say, those that you kind of pick up throughout the world, like those real, real world items that you pull in, like the fan um, or the scissors or that cat figurine that we've seen, those maybe have multiple uses, especially like in the environment where they help you like solve, you know, little puzzles or, or progress in levels. I wouldn't be surprised if you could somehow use those again. Um, but it, yeah, it's not 100% clear, but from everything I've read, everything should be one-time use. Um, but I guess we'll wait and see. Um but yeah, and so it gets rid of the leveling up mechanics and everything. Um, you can still increase your health by finding um, items throughout the world, sort of like health container or heart containers in Zelda. Um, yeah, it just looks pretty neat. Uh, like the companions are gone, so Mario's completely on his own. Well, doesn't he have those? And, that's uh, like one character that helps him. Right, but 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 she doesn't participate in yeah. battles at all. It's all you. It's not like before where each you know Mario and his companion would get to attack. Um, and so one kind of weird change that they've made is, unlike most RPGs where, let's say you come across three enemies, you can attack them in any order, uh, you have to attack enemies sequentially, so they're in a row. So you have to attack the first enemy and defeat it before you can attack the second oh, enemy, and then so on and so forth. So um, this is where the battle spinner comes into uh, into play. It's sort of a slot machine that will grant you uh, extra stickers, but will also grant you the ability to do uh, two or three attacks in a single move. Um, this can be great for, like, eliminating those first few, like, weak enemies in the front right away and then getting to the, uh, you know, like, maybe the boss or the mini-boss or something who's hiding in the back row. Um, so there's some strategy there. And then you can actually rig that battle spinner with coins that you collect um, just in battles and, you know, throughout the world and stuff like that. Um, so if you pay money into the battle spinner, you'll rig it so you'll get a better chance of getting to take those, you know, extra two or three attacks. Um, so there's some strategy there, too, in terms of, like, gaining currency and then holding on to it to either use it there or to go to the shop and buy more powerful stickers. Cool. So it's kind of neat. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on. Um, but I'm excited. But, you know, you, you definitely don't need to play the predecessors, predecessors first. And, like, if you've ever wanted to play a Paper Mario game, this seems like the one to come in on because it's it's sort of a fresh start for the series. I think that's that. Yeah. Zach, why, Zach, just real quick, why don't you like Paper Mario? First of all, we we narrowly missed me turning on the Mario music. I just want to get that out of the way. Uh, I don't like Paper Mario because um, it is the most hand-holdy RPG I've ever played, and the Mario and Luigi games are so superior. Partners in Time is a piece of shit. If you oh sure, Partners in Time is awful, but it's better than Paper Mario. Qualify your statement yeah. by saying that Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga and, and Bowser's Inside Story are fantastic games. And don't Infinitely don't give better Partners than Paper in Time Mario. the benefit of the doubt because that game sucks. <laughs> okay, you're right. It did. It blew. Uh, but it's like you've got two Mario RPGs to choose from. Why would you go with the one that's for babies? It's slow. It's slow moving. It holds your hand the whole time, uh, and you know, boss battles take two seconds. We're so, playing totally different games, man. Maybe I'm just fucking good at RPGs. <laughs> That's probably you. It. Probably just played the first fucking level and then stopped. Uh, I beat I beat Paper Mario One twice, I, baby. I remember enjoying Paper Mario One a whole lot, and I'll admit I tried to replay it recently, and it's just too fucking slow. But at the time, that's another thing. I love the it. shit out of that game, and I'll totally admit it's slow. But a lot of RPGs are slow. So slow. But, I mean, I don't know. There's something Never about... played Thousand Year Door because I was so turned off by 
the first game. Yeah, I mean, Thousand Year Door is another game that, I mean, uh, just both of those start off really slow and they have a lot of talky bits, which those talky bits are also present in Bar and Luigi as well. Um, but they're funny. So, the localization so, is so damn good. Good in both games, man. No. Hey, uh, um, it's, it's, I mean, Super Paper Mario yeah. is yeah. really great, but it, it suffers from way too many yeah. words. <laughs> like, I mean, I've, I've beaten, well, I, I did not beat Thousand Year Door because Thousand Year Door's final boss is fucking ridiculous. Um, <laughs> that whole final area. Yeah, yeah I mean, I just, I, I was just like, <laughs> I basically saw the end of the game, I'm good. But I mean, I've played, you know, every Paper Mario game to almost near completion. Uh, with Mario and Luigi, I got about halfway through Partners in Time. Only played about half a Superstar Saga and still have never beaten Bowser's Inside Story. Um, How did you not be Superstar Saga? Because they drag on forever. That I I think Superstar Saga Saga is the only one that ends in a good amount of time. Bowser's Inside Story, talk about overstaying your welcome. Yeah, Bowser's Inside Story has one of those moments where I'm like, all right, it's going to end now. What the fuck? Exactly. (laughs) Oh, we're really only two-thirds of the way through the game. Yeah. All right. I mean, I would, I really want to see Superstar Saga come out on Virtual Console because I've never owned that game. I only borrowed it from a friend. Oh, okay. That's um, probably one of my favorite games of all yeah. time, Superstar Saga. Really? Yeah. I, I've beaten it probably three or four times. Yeah. Do you guys think they'll ever just make a, a second Super Mario RPG? I would shit my pants. I was just about to say how, you know what, guys? F- fuck this discussion because Super Mario RPG is so much better. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I think the answer is no, because Nintendo, after parting ways with uh, Square Enix or Squaresoft at the time... Squaresoft at the time, yeah. ...said, you know what? Let's make our own Mario RPG. Duke Nukem Forever came out. So I don't know if I can say (laughs) a flat no to that. It's one of those ones where it would be never say never with a wink and a middle finger. I don't know if Nintendo would, would feel the need to go back to Square Enix when they're like, hey, look, we've got Alpha Dream and whoever the frick does Paper Mario games. We've already got we've already got two Nintendo uh, Mario RPGs. We don't need these guys again. Yeah, but the thing is, it's all about making money, and there's market for a third. <laughs> they, could, yeah. they could easily have Paper Mario, oh, yeah, um, sure. Mario and Luigi, and Mario RPG, too. I mean, that would be huge. I would My mind would be blown if that came out. I, I mean, I would say... Just because of, you know, back the era that it was, uh, the localization doesn't really match up to, like, Paper Mario and Mario Luigi for the most part, but just the world, I don't know, it has everything charms. about Super Mario RPG, I completely adore. I've beaten that game, mm-hmm. I don't know, ten times at this point, at least. Wow. Oh, yeah. Um, I, up until, basically up until I became a staffer on NWR, I made it my business to replay the game every year. Um, and I think it's so I think good. the last time I did it was 2008. I got like halfway through it the year it came out on Virtual Console, which I think was 2009, and I haven't really had the time to play it. But it, I mean, it's to the I point. I played it last time whenever they had that as the uh, game. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, retroactive, retroactive on our I mean, there there are a lot of games that I love, but nothing matches up the Super Mario RPG for me. I would. I want to see, like, a, a sequel on Wii U, sort of in the style of, like, Skyward Sword meets Yoshi's Island. Like, super stylized and, like, cartoony yeah. in a way. And I, I, I mean, people don't like the, uh, don't think the graphics have aged very well, but I really like that uh, isometric graphical style. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, um, it hasn't aged well, but it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> no. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, I mean, you like I said, you put in Yoshi's Island and then you switch to Mario RPG. I mean, Yoshi's sure, Island still looks sure. a million yeah. times better, but it it, does, it doesn't look bad. I don't think it, it looks um, like a game that came out in 1996. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, right. that's weird. But yeah, I don't know. I think Nintendo and Square have repaired the relationship somewhat. I I could see it happening. I would love to see it happen, and I think yeah. it's just an instant way to make money. So I think they'd be silly not to yeah. consider it at some point. But I guess we'll see. So, anyway, Paper Mario's great, Zach's crazy, let's move on. To the next question right. from Joel. While Nintendo is undoubtedly working and trying hard to put the Wii U out there to consumers, do you think the quote-unquote hardcore crowd will react positively? While it's being shown very well at events like Comic-Con, how well do you think it's being introduced and exposed to the everyday casual crowd at any given mall and street corner? So this is kind of interesting. He's asking, will the hardcore or the casual like it? I mean, I think... <laughs> The hardcore has spoken to a degree in the fact that pre-orders are basically sold out. And I mean, not that that's that right. too much of a shock, but I guess with the the expediency in which all the pre-orders sold out showed that, you know, that there is demand. But pretty much every console sells out, or at least every home console sells out at launch. Um, I think the problem with the casual market um, is they probably won't be able to get one. <laughs> right. Uh, and it's the same thing that happened to the Wii, but I, I mean, the the Wii also did kind of hit that cultural touchstone pretty close to launch, pretty shortly after launch. And unfortunately, I don't think Wii U really has that game or that product to you know be as as well received as no. as a as Wii Sports. However, you know, we, we're still a month away. And I know for from our perspective, we're like, how the fuck do we not know everything? They should have everything laid out. But if you look back to something like Connect, Connect's marketing plan didn't really start until, like, right before the, the thing came out. And that did very, very well. And I think that in the ensuing weeks, we're going to start to see Nintendo be more aggressive to the casual space with Wii U. And I think that Nintendo TV is going to be at the crux of that. I think that's how they're going to how they're going to try to sell people on it. And I think that it is the kind of thing, and you're starting to see it come up in articles now on uh, kind of more mainstream sites, where people are just like, oh, wow, look at how cool this is. And yeah. I don't think, I, I think it's impossible for it to do as well as we did. But I think there is that, that, that idea that, you know, Nintendo TV and the combination of Nintendo Land and having your Call of Duty on it will, will get people to be more interested in it. I think it does appeal to parents in a way, too, because it doesn't involve their kid, you know, monopolizing the TV. And I know from a, from the perspective of, like, you know, being a, being a kid recently, I guess Patrick's the only other person that's been a kid more recently than I have. Um, <laughs> like my, when I was younger, my parents wouldn't let me have a TV in my room. Um, because they kind of like, you know, while I would play video games, they wanted me to like interact with them. So how cool would that be that like, if you're like watching TV with your family, you could be playing a game and you're still, you know, present with your family. And I think there's that appeal too, just to kind of like the kid using it to appeal his mom or appeal to his mom about it. That's only if Nintendo markets it in such a way that they highlight that feature. I think they have to. I hope they do because that's one of the biggest draws for me. (laughs) I mean, I mean like what else, what, what's your angle other than that? Honestly. Right. The tablet. Well, I, mean, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, the yeah, tablet. The, the tablet, the idea that you can play games off the TV, um, and then like the kind of the Miiverse connectivity stuff and, and Nintendo TV. That that's it. Like, there's no exemplary game. There's, I mean, yeah, it does. It, it has parody with your call with Call of Duty's Assassin's Creed, 
everything like that. But Nintendo Land, I mean, it's it, like I think Nintendo Land's fucking amazing, but I'm not everyone. And Nintendo Land's a game that like you need to sit people down and forcibly spend 15 minutes with it for them to understand it. Because at first glance, you're like, well, that looks kind of silly. Because there's no analog for it. I mean, that's how Wii Sports succeeded, was that, like, you didn't have to explain it. You put the fucking thing in that word, like, bowl. All right, yeah, I got this. Merch is going to be like, run around in a circle and avoid that guy who's using this weird thing that you've never seen before that vaguely looks like an iPad. Right. Yeah, I, I wrote an editorial about this a while ago about there not being a Wii Sports at launch, and I thought that was kind of... Kind of weird, not not necessarily bad or or good in any way, just kind of weird in terms of attracting a, a casual audience. And I agree with you. I think Nintendo Land, as a whole, the games in it are much more like normal games. Yeah. You know, they're like normal video games, which which is great for people who play video games, but will sort of exclude people who don't. I mean, there's going to be tropes and archetypes in these games that we're all familiar with that people who don't play video games aren't going to grasp right away. Okay, well, I mean, I think when you wrote that editorial, that was before we knew about Nintendo TV, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think that Nintendo expects Nintendo TV to be their Wii Sports. Um, and that—that's—that's that's what I was going to transition to. I, I agree too. I think I think that's I think that's going to be their big push, and I I will not be surprised if we see a uh, Wii U commercial featuring some cast member from Glee talking about how she's not a gamer but she watches TV uh, on her yeah. Wii U or something. You know, I hate that commercial. I don't know why I hate it. There's just I hate it. For I saw reason. it. Finally. I hate Glee. Please, okay. I, I don't like it. No. Not a fan. What do you think about the commercial? I, I, I'm not really too bothered by it. It doesn't appeal to me, so I don't really care. I know people are all up in arms about the I'm not a gamer thing, but I play 3DS. But really, like, it's fucking Art Academy. Like, it doesn't really appeal yeah. to, to gamers. I mean, I, I've been playing some Art yeah. Academy. It's a fucking drawing game. It's cool, but, like, right. it's not like I'm... It, it just... It's just weird to me to have to so explicitly say it. I mean, like, with the Diaz, it was a crossover hit, and they never came out and said, like, look, you don't have to be a fucking dork yeah. to play this thing. You know, it was just like, there's these games for people who don't just typically play video I, games, but they never I outright said I just feel like the it, ad like, guys were just like, hey, let's just hit them over the head with it. Yeah. Fuck it. What, what do we gotta lose? Yeah. So... Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not worried about the hardcore crowd, though, getting into it. I mean, as for much shit as the Wii gets, I, I guarantee most hardcore gamers have a Wii at least somewhere in their house. If not hooked up, it's in a closet somewhere. Right. Who the hell doesn't like buying yeah. new hardware? I mean, it's it's so fun. And the Wii U, like, it's a lot of, like, just fun stuff to kind of explore and tinker around I mean, with, even so. looking at the, the launch window, like, that's some good shit there. It's got a fantastic launch, partially because of the, you know, the fact that there's two other consoles that are similar to it. In, uh, in tech out at the same time, so you have a lot of good ports. Um, and then you got Rayman Legends coming out pretty early on. You should have Pikmin 3, Wonderful 101, We Fit You, et cetera, et cetera, down, you know, coming out in the first half of 2013. Not that We Fit You is really uh, applicable to everybody, but hey, We Fit, Dem- we Fit You Demo D3, super fucking fun. Hmm. I don't know about that game. Yeah, there's a rowing thing. I have, I have a video on my phone of Aaron playing the rowing game while sitting on a chair. It's pretty <laughs> funny. <laughs> that was another one of those demos that I just skipped out on because I really wasn't that interested. I made the mistake yeah. of doing the We Fit, De- we Fit You demo at the end of one of the days and almost, like, passed out after it because I'm so fucking tired. <laughs> I was, like, talking to the PR reps. I'm like, this, like I should have done it in the morning. It would have woken me up. Now I'm just like, I just want to roll over on this nice carpet and go to bed. You're, like, doing push-ups <laughs> and squats and shit. 
Alright, so yeah, I think that kind of answers that one. I, I th- I'm not worried about the hardcore. I think we'll see a more uh, casual, geared um, advertisement campaign as time rolls uh, rolls on closer yeah. to launch. Um, but I, I do, th- I really think they should release consoles in September again. Because you get the hardcore out of the way, like the people who are going to buy it no matter what, and then you get all the casual who will buy yep. it at Christmas time. Um, you know, you're you're limiting the amount of people you can get this thing up to right now at one of the times where more people would be buying it. It's just weird. It's weird to me. I don't get that strategy. So we spent uh, about 22 minutes on one question. That's good. Well, I guess three. <laughs> well, the, the the next should move a little quicker, I think, so. <laughs> All right. Dustin Damas writes, what the heck is Alpha Dream doing right now? All right, so I've got a prepared statement for this. Um, <laughs> Alpha Dream, uh, they made the Mario and Luigi games, the RPGs, on uh, Game Boy Advance DS. And what they've done most recently is a game released in 2009 called Post Pet DS. It's published by Marvelous. I honestly have no idea what the fuck it is. Hmm. Um, there's some, like, clay pets on the cover. I assume it involves pets and maybe mailing them. Um, Wikipedia says it's Japan only. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that did, that did not come to North America. Um, there's still a second-party studio at Nintendo. Uh, I guess one thing to put into perspective was that there was a four-year gap between uh, Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story and uh, Mario and Luigi Partners in Time, and I think a four-year gap between Superstar Saga and Partners in Time. So if you're following by that logic, we should hear about what Alpha Dream is doing with Nintendo in about a year. Or at least we might be reaping the benefits of that in a year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe it, it doesn't go until a year later. But I think we'll probably hear what Alpha Dream is doing within the next year, um, even if it's like, guess what? Alpha Dream doesn't exist anymore. I know what they're working on. What? Star Fox X... Uh, wow, did I already forget? <laughs> Solar Striker. Star Fox X Solar Striker. <laughs> okay. Heard it here first. <laughs> I believe it. you. I don't know. Do you guys, I mean, I think we were talking about this before we started recording, but you think we'll really keep seeing Mario and Luigi games and Paper Mario games all on the, the 3DS? Keep in mind, they released Super Mario 3D Land and New Super Mario Bros. 2 within a year of each other. Hmm, that's true. That's true. I don't think we can rule anything out. <laughs> but that, that's a little different. I mean, that's like classic 2D Mario and like yeah. kind of cool quasi-Mario 64 Mario. I mean, this well, is... Well, I think I it's mean, different because, I mean, Paper Mario has gone in a very different direction. And I think that Mario and Luigi would probably stick to the formula that it had on yeah. DS and Game Boy. That's true. They're just both kind of niche games. I, I don't doubt that we'll see it. I just, you know, I just wonder. I, I would say, I mean, just kind of looking at when it would probably slot in, I think it would be an early 2014 release. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think, like, I think Paper Mario, you can kind of make it your holiday title. I don't think you can do that with Mario and Luigi. Yeah. Um, Especially having, you know, 3DS RPGs two years in a row. I think Zelda is our 3DS title next year. Whatever it is, That'd I think cool. that's what it's going to be. Um. But, I mean, it could be next fall. I think it'll be early 2014, and it'll probably be another Mario and Luigi game. Though I'd love to see them do something new and original. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right, so I have the next letter. Vicky L. writes, Zach Miller is silly because Paper Mario is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and then she wrote more than that, too. It, it's one of my top games in my list of upcoming games. 
Another game I've been interested in since E3 is The Wonderful 101. I'm a little worried about this game, though. Unlike Pikmin 3 and other upcoming titles, it's not listed for pre-order at various websites like Amazon, Best Buy, or Newegg. Neil said that it was on the show floor at New York Comic Con. Do you think it will still make the launch window? What do you guys think of what you've seen of The Wonderful 101? I liked it. It was fun at E3. Very, very excited for this game, whenever it does come out. And I'm sure uh, it'll be delayed a while. I mean, I, I honestly, I don't think it will be delayed that much. Look, I'm not going to say it was rough, but it's pretty clear it needed a little finesse. I mean, I think the, the, the worrisome thing is that, like, it's been demos since E3, and every demo has been the E3 demo. Mm. Like, oh. all the signage at New York Comic Con was the Wonderful 101, and when you play the demo, it said Project P100, and it was the exact same E3 demo. Oh, wow. I mean, that's kind of my only thing, is that, like, they're not showing off any more of it. However, it is Nintendo, so that doesn't really, don't read into that too much. Um, I think we can 100% roll out 2012 as a viable option for this oh, game yeah. Oh, yeah. at all. Um, I think it will... I would be very shocked if it doesn't make Q1 2013. Mm. I, I think it'll fall in that February yeah. time frame to fill in that gap. I, I don't think Nintendo will be dumb enough to not have a first-party game. In, the, in, in Q1 2013, and I, and I think they will also not be dumb enough to have only one first-party game and have it be Game & Wario. Because um, I think I think that's what, what what's lined up for Q1 2013 would be Game & Wario um, and, and The Wonderful 101, because, yeah, Pikmin 3 and Wii Fit U are technically in the launch window in North America, but th- those are spring games. Right, and so what better time for that game to come out than before Pikmin 3, <laughs> you yeah. know, since they're sort of vaguely similar, um, it seems anyway, so. I haven't played them, but would you say that they're similar in style? Um, in the way they kind of present themselves, but they play a lot differently. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Wonderful 101's a lot more fast-paced. And you're not throwing little dudes, all your dudes are turning into like a giant fist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, the the further apart it comes, you know, from Pikmin three, I think the better for it. So, sure. Yeah, early uh, early next year would be good. Indeed. I'm excited. I I want to like this game. You should. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I will. I changed my mind. I do like this game. Oh, good. <laughs> All right, Zach, you have the final letter. Last letter from David Cotman. For a while. I have always viewed DLC as something for publishers to get more money out of a game. But with the recent announcement of Mutant Mud's free DLC adding 20 new levels, only if you have 100% of the game, has enticed me to go back and beat the final level, which, by the way, is a bitch. Uh, perhaps <laughs> it's DLC... a tough-ass game. Oh, man. Perhaps DLC can be used to bring players back into playing a game they have forgotten about or interest people who may have missed the game the first time. What are your views on DLC and what it may hold for Nintendo in the future? Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. I'd like to say that uh, this worked for me and um, Mighty Switch Force. I was just going to say. I had yeah. put that down, but when the free DLC levels came out, I not only played the new stuff, I replayed all the old levels and got better times. It's kind of interesting. I mean, you know, I thought Mighty Switch Force was just kind of an anomaly, but now that you've had two games by two different developers on the eShop come back with, like, free DLC, um, I wonder if that came down from Nintendo to to push them to do that, or if it's just coincidence that they, they both 
decided to do that, but it's great. I mean, it's great on both sides of it. I mean, if you have the game, it gets you back into it, gets you to finish it, like in this case. I mean, the fact that you have to beat the game before you even get the new stuff is a pretty cool, like, carrot on a stick. Um, and for me, like, I don't own, I don't own Mutant Muds or Mighty Switch Force, but knowing that there's been added content and that the prices remain the same, it's, it's harder and harder for me not to get them, and I'm yeah. sure I'll pick them yeah. up both soon. You know, just knowing that there's more content there than even originally was there, I mean, it's hard to resist, so. I mean, at it's E3, cool. we actually got to talk to some people from way forward, I mean, specifically, uh, Matt Boson, right? Mm-hmm. I always get confused because there was a guy who used to, his brother who used to write for IGN. Right, Mark. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Matt Boson, who, you know, basically led design on Mighty Switch Force. Um, you know, basically the idea was that they wanted to make some more levels, so they made some more levels and they talked to Nintendo about how they could do it. And I know the story with Mutant Muds was that they were making the PC version and they wanted to, you know, add in some bonus content for the PC version, so they made the harder levels. And I think actually, uh, Renegade Kids saw what Way Forward did and were like, hey, we should try to do that yeah, with these for the 3DS stuff. Um, so, so then, you know, they talked to Nintendo, worked it out, and, and now they're coming out in a week. That's cool. Actually, they're coming out in uh, Europe tomorrow. Damn. Or October 18th. It's um, a fair trade-off since Europe got it later than... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't really know why uh, why there's a week disparity, but whatever. Yeah. It just makes next week, like, the best week on eShop ever. But, I mean, I, 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 I love the idea of free DLC like this because it is the kind of stuff where it just gets people to pick up a game that they haven't played in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm looking at stuff like Crosswords Plus, which is very good um, if you want a Crosswords game. But that has a stuff where it's just like it gives you like a new puzzle every day. Yeah. And, you know, having, you know, Street Pass stuff with New Super Mario Brothers 2, if you can actually get it, it makes you check out the game more often. And it also makes it the kind of game that I'm glad to have on my 3DS. Um, uh, I guess Professor Layton has done this for a while now. Yeah. They always yeah. have those unlockable pl- puzzles every day or week. Or... Of course, those are on disc. I was going to say, supposedly those yeah. are just on the cart and it's just every yeah. day it unlocks a new one for you. Uh, so it's still, it, it's the same kind of principle. Yeah, yeah. Right. Where... But yeah, this is a cool precedent. I mean, to come out the gate with two, like, free, pretty substantial DLC packs like this. Um, I, I hope we keep seeing things like this, like free DLC. It's, uh, Pretty cool idea, and I don't know. It's good for Nintendo. Free LC. Nah, uh, that's what. Yeah, man, that's what we're gonna start calling it. No, we're not. Heard, heard it here first. Nintendo World Report. Be a we, thing. we call that. <laughs> so Polygon, don't come around trying to copy that. What? what I don't understand that. this Polygon thing. We'll tell you when you're older. It's uh, neither here nor there. <laughs> um, I think that's about a wrap. Yeah, uh, it, it'll do. That was some listener mail. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, this sort of special segment of Connectivity. Uh, I'm Scott Thompson. I'm with Mike Sklen. Hello! And Zach Miller. Hi! And uh, what this is going to be is this going to be a little uh, Super Mario Brothers Super Show, uh, I guess Rift Track, we'll call it, in honor of the actual Rift Tracks. <laughs> um, so if you're not familiar Wait, with Wait, I thought this was a wholly original idea that we came <laughs> up with. 
This could be a million seller. <laughs> yeah. So if you're if you're not familiar with Thrift Tracks or um, Mystery Science Theater 3000, um, how this works is we're going to uh, basically talk shit about the episode as it airs, <laughs> and, or as we're watching it, and then you can sync this up with that episode and then listen to us talk shit about it what? in basically, you know, in synchronization. Yeah. So um, the episode we're doing is called Count Cupula, and uh, it's apparently the 18th episode of the first season. So I will include the link to the video we're watching on YouTube, but if you're not at your computer uh, where you can click that link easily, I will tell you that, yeah, just go to YouTube, search Super Mario Brothers uh, Super Show, episode 18, Count Cupula, and make sure you're watching the one from user uh, Anon7906. It's, oh, it's K-O-O-P-U-L-A, Cupula. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, and make sure you watch that one from that user, just in case there's any difference, uh, you know, in time, because that will throw it off, so... And then uh, what you're going to do here in just a minute um, is we're going to tell you to pause this here at the podcast, and then you'll start the video, and the second that Mario says, hey, which is like the very first thing he says. It's, it's like almost immediate. About, yeah, it's going to be about like two seconds into the video. It's the very first thing he says. You need to press play again on this here podcast, and then we should be synced up. Uh, if for some reason things are off for you, just, you know, figure it out yourself. You're an adult. <laughs> pause the video. Let us catch up. Or pause... Pause us, let the video catch up, whatever you gotta do, but it shouldn't be too bad. So, um, yeah, I guess, I guess we're all good to go. So, I will say pause this as soon as I'm done talking, and again, start it the second that Mario says hey. So, pause this. If I may, according to Google, a paisano is a peasant of Spanish or Italian ethnic origin. So fuck you too, Mario. Does anyone else miss the DK rap? <laughs> I was thinking that sweet green screen. <laughs> I don't really get what Bowser's doing right there, but... He's glued to the pole. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of struggling here to tell whether or not Mario's dancing or just sort of suffering from Parkinson's. Uh, it could be both, I guess. There's that green screen. Hopefully they brought the magic carpet back. So that, uh, that started giving the firepower up, huh? So less than a minute in, and the show's already gotten something fundamentally wrong about the franchise it represents. <laughs> uh, I guess still it took longer than uh, most any Uwe Boll movie, so there's that. Because I am a registered sex offender, and I must by law. <laughs> I like that Mario's uh, respectfully waiting uh, for Luigi to stop reading before he eats that entire basketball. <laughs> Things to which Mario has also responded, that'll never happen. Blu-ray beating HD DVD, a black president, Wi-Fi, and Microsoft becoming the number one console manufacturer. Oh, I thought it was with uh, his penis. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I'll just uh, start eating the tablecloth for the time being.
I shudder to think about all the uh, beloved sound effects used in Mario and Luigi take a dump. <laughs> oh, okay. Slight difference. <laughs> yeah. It's important, though. Wilson, no! <laughs> I think it just fell off the table. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, no, no, it's just right here. Sorry. Yeah. Eric Estrada? Oh. You know, later, uh, Luigi's children will look back at this as the uh, first sign of Luigi's onset of dementia. Do <laughs> <laughs> that freeze frame dance, nice. Yeah, and we're back. <laughs> Who's singing this? Quickly realizing, I think the show is just about 60% bad rap. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the ground would really hold up there. <laughs> so for all the egregious use of sound effects, they couldn't even put in the uh, one-up sound effect there? <laughs> he did kill eight. Eight bad guys. It's supposed to get successively higher, too. That's true. <laughs> oh, yeah. I always thought God took showers. <laughs> Look, this one says Overlook Hotel. Oh god, this is the origin story for Hotel Mario, isn't it? <laughs> it's the darker reboot. Yeah. New edgy version. Mousegore, that's very original. <laughs> Bowser's kind of sassy in this, isn't he? He's got a little attitude. He is. There's like a secret current of like Charles Nelson Riley in there somewhere. <laughs> wow, that is a lot of semen. <laughs> he got this at the Chinese Italian restaurant. <laughs> I'm pretty impressed with the other uh, decision to make Mario a gluttonous, selfish prick who would eat his rain-soaked spaghetti <laughs> right in front of his starving friends and family. <laughs> it's a good direction for the character. I realize Toad makes like a squeak toy noise. What's with that? Stop, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Luigi just got a peek. Also, apparently, a Stretch Armstrong. <laughs> oh, anything but the pasta. Oh, God, Toad pissed himself again. And so our heroes embark on a quest to find their Olive Garden leftovers. <laughs> 
I like that they kind of stole from uh, Sonic there with that running motion. <laughs> you idiot! <laughs> oh, my nose! <laughs> <laughs> You think he's ever heard the song, I Wear My Sunglasses at Night? <laughs> yes. This castle must be underground based on the music. <laughs> <laughs> not sure we could put uh, anything from the Mario universe in this painting, but why not a couple of creepy, weird-ass dudes with their arms around each other? <laughs> The pain of those on during an earthquake. <laughs> we call this one the Bear Den. <laughs> I'll take what's behind door number three. Oh, totally called it. Well, he is a toad. Couldn't tell behind that clever disguise. (laughs) (laughs) Dibs on the top bunk. (laughs) So far, there really hasn't been a single likable character on this entire show. Well, no, I guess that painting with the weird-ass dudes was all right. (laughs) (laughs) And nothing else was in there. Apparently Mario thinks ravioli is just a big box of spaghetti sauce. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, didn't see that coming. Goddamn squeak toys. <laughs> Fully artist clearly had a dog. <laughs> yeah. Oh god, it's Toad. Let us out, let us out. <laughs> Toad is like the only useful character on this whole adventure. Right, so he's the hero now? I mean, even Uwe Bull wouldn't have done that. I like how Luigi's like, what the fuck? (laughs) I like that the secret entrance has holes where you can clearly look through and see that it's a secret (laughs) entrance. Good, he's dead. Now let's find a way out. (laughs) Well, this worked so well in Star Wars. Just looking at this animation, I wonder how many animators took this off their resumes. I mean, it makes Speed Racer look like Wally. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Luigi's like teeth are clattering. <laughs> Where's his poltergust? Yeah, right? That uh, might not work on spiders. I don't know, like maybe jump on them or something. That usually works, right? <laughs> Someone exploded. <laughs> Was packed a C4. Aww. It's a bottle, Mario. <laughs> oh, yes, this is an excellent vintage. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at this point, Mario and Luigi might as well press A on the Wii remote and just float around the uh, the episode. <laughs> Like how knuckly their hands get. It's weird. Oh my gosh, shit just got real, people. Wouldn't the were turtle be a turtle that turned into a turtle? Maybe <laughs> <laughs> a freshwater turtle turns into a snapping turtle. Oh. Toad being useful. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, shit just went bullet time there for a second. Aw, damn. Tonight I dine on turtle soup. Can I have your autograph? <laughs> <laughs> he just wants to give you a hug. Children of alcoholic fathers everywhere recognize that phrase, but don't know why. Again, Toad. Once again, Hero. <laughs> Jesus. Meanwhile, the turtle's choking to death. Yeah. MC Escher designed this house. <laughs> Castle. There you go. Well, I mean, they are like magical mushrooms, so. <laughs> Sounds like homeless people are voicing those. <laughs> Mario knows what's important. I'm really starting to think that they uh, just named the, Mar the show Mario to be ironic. <laughs> Featuring Vincent Price! <laughs> Cheney learned from the best over there, my lord. Bowser really is the ultimate villain. <laughs> I 
Oh god, Luigi's transformation of the Hulk stopped at his feet. <laughs> Mario, you're a plumber. <laughs> I'm gonna suck his dick! <laughs> They haven't even started stretching him yet, though. <laughs> yeah, he's just tied up. <laughs> you know, he stretched. He stretched a lot more when they were hanging from the bat and seemed to like have no problem with it. Right now, he's screaming in pain. Okay, so I get it. So Mario, Luigi are plumbers, and the princess is a princess. But what exactly is Toad? Apparently, anything you want him to be. <laughs> he can stretch. Because you know, everyone knows mushrooms are an extremely stretchy, stretchy <laughs> yeah, vegetable. Food. Toad is Jake the dog. This door has a face. And thus, <laughs> the princess bought Mario and Luigi valuable time by getting Bowser mired in a lengthy debate of PC nomenclature and the changing role of women in society. <laughs> oh. You just had that? Yeah, apparently. Were you Wario? This is a man who has two whole crates of pasta secreted or secured around his person. They're chewing this stuff like they've never eaten anything before in their entire lives. <laughs> they don't know how their mouths work. Wow, Toad, jeez. <laughs> it's cold, man. I really hope uh, Mario's long-lost garlic breath power-up shows up in New Super Mario <laughs> Vigil. It's been too long. <laughs> into the sun. <laughs> <laughs> the vampire escapes into the sunlight. And he leaves, and the castle's exploding, and this is Castlevania now. Bringing down the house, yeah, because the show writers didn't want you to leave thinking, you know, I like that Toad character. <laughs> Luke Hanks should make some good spaghetti. Uh, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> yeah, remember when I made that basketball disappear? Yeah, I can do that still. <laughs> In case you forgot. The magic of editing! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Where does he get all these sheets? You're right. Every time the sheet disappears. The linen closet. <laughs> Our dad, Mario Sr. Why would you bring <laughs> that up? <laughs> oh, here comes the prestige. <laughs> Mario looks sufficiently pissed off now.
I think that'd be important to learn. <laughs> yeah, maybe. A little bit. Apparently they're the Three Stooges now. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. Touch it and maybe you won't be such a dumbass anymore. <laughs> Yeah, because if you couldn't guess by the name, the Triforce only has two pieces. <laughs> Link voiced by Eric Estrada. <laughs> Quit crying. Yeah, I noticed the emphasis on friend, Link. <laughs> I'm sorry, are these scenes from the next Legend of Zelda or the whole fucking episode? <laughs> Dude, I'm tripping my balls off from these spiders. <laughs> no, you clearly cannot. Yes, YouTube users, tune in this Friday. <laughs> For shit. Luigi's in too deep. You gotta help me. I need help. <laughs> Remember, kids, don't play around with magic words. Wait, 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 guys. I just found my basketball. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. It's the real magic word. Please. Your shoulder smells great. <laughs> Kids in the 80s, this Blackstone guy was like a real guy. He's a guest star. I'm a kid from the 80s. I don't know who he is. Yeah, no fucking Me neither. If he wasn't on the Muppets show, I just don't know who they are. As the magician, not as himself. <laughs> so he's not a magician, then. You know, after watching this episode, I don't think I ever, ever want to do the Mario. <laughs> this is, you never did the Mario? This isn't a dance. You should, I think I saw a little Gangnam Style in there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it's taking place in a Wile E. Coyote cartoon. I want him to stop singing. Jeez, there were like 12 dialogue editors for this. Were there that <laughs> many lines of dialogue? This is this never caught on as a club dance. Uh, almost fell, <laughs> but pulled it off. Deke. It's all that sauce. Presented by Dick. So that's it, guys. There you go. That is our uh, riff of Count Kugula. Hope you enjoyed uh, it. From the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, Zach and Mike, thanks for being here. If you have any suggestions for other episodes, or maybe of something else like Captain and the Game Master, I don't know if that's on YouTube, but if you have any suggestions... Or that episode of Zelda. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Any suggestions for what we should riff next, we, we think we might do this again. 
yeah, let us know how you guys uh, what you guys thought about this. Hopefully, it turned out pretty well. It'd be a special. Yes. So, um, <laughs> all right, cool. Well, thanks guys for being here. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you guys later. Heck yeah! Bye. bye. See you. And that is it for episode 57 of Connectivity. Hope you enjoyed the Halloween show. Um, as always, you can send us listener mail to connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. Uh, if you get a chance to rate and review us on iTunes, we would love you forever. And um, be sure to follow us on Twitter. Like I always say, just go to nintendoworldreport.com, look for the Twitter sidebar on the side there, and then um, you can find all of our usernames there. So uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next week.